my friends, when it rains, it pours. Last week, a former nuncio, that is, Vatican ambassador to the United States, published a letter claiming that Pope Francis knew about the immoral lifestyle of and sexual harassment by Archbishop Theodore McCarrick and chose to do nothing about it, even going so far as to listen to McCarrick's advice on the appointment of bishops in the United States. I will not engage with that letter here. If this former nuncio is correct, then the highest-ranking Vatican officials favored their agenda and their factions over morality and holiness. If this former nuncio is exaggerating or lying, it is the greatest and most detestable act of calumny in living memory, doing inconceivable damage to the faithful and the Church. If the truth lies somewhere in the middle, we are still left with a Church that lacks saints, where very flawed men have allowed a great rot to develop while they watch. Many of you may be insulated from this disaster. Many of you may not spend hours reading Catholic blogs every day, and trust me, you are better for it. But scandals like this do not take long to make their way to the pews. So I consider it my responsibility to help our community understand what is happening and how we ought to respond to it. The problem at the moment is that we have no hard evidence from either side. We simply have the testimony of certain men against the testimony of others. And lacking the documents and memos in question, we have no way to determine where the truth lies. And this has allowed the enemy to have his way with us. Those who adore Pope Francis and believe that he can do no wrong are looking for every excuse to attack the character and integrity of a long-serving Vatican diplomat. And those who are skeptical of Pope Francis, who are made nervous every time he gives an interview or publishes a letter, are more than happy to regard this letter as gospel truth, proving that they have been right about this Pope from day one. Once again, the Church is being divided along familiar lines, lines usually referred to as liberal and conservative. In general, the so-called liberals believe we should dialogue more with the world, we should talk less about doctrine and more about accompaniment, and that issues of social justice matter as much as, if not more than, matters of sexuality. They believe the Church is constantly being driven by the Holy Spirit to grow, improve, and change. The so-called conservatives, on the other hand, are skeptical of the world and believe we must protect against it. They believe that moral teachings, especially on sexuality, must be emphasized because the world has abandoned them so thoroughly. They believe that if we are going to be Catholic, we ought to be Catholic boldly, highlighting our ancient traditions, our transcendent liturgies, and anything else that makes our church unique, special, or different from the ambient society. For conservatives, the Church serves to protect the truths given to us by God, not to question or improve them. Liberals generally love Pope Francis. Conservatives generally prefer Pope Benedict. And now a letter has gone off like a nuclear bomb, and the two sides are tearing each other to pieces 
in the press, and on the internet. Even the bishops are being forced to choose sides. The unity of the church is in serious peril. But once again, our readings are perfectly fitted to our difficult time. Look first to our second reading from St. James. He says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Widows and orphans, a supposedly liberal issue. Unstained by the world, a supposedly conservative one. St. James reminds us that pure and undefiled religion is not liberal and it is not conservative. It is both. Always. If the church is divine, and she is, then she reflects the nature of God. The God who gathers all people of every persuasion together in himself. My brothers and sisters in Christ, in this time when the machinations of the enemy have been revealed so clearly, we cannot allow the evil one to divide us. We must remember that liberal or conservative, we are all Catholic, members of the one body of Christ, united in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. The church that we all love. The church that has room for us all. But if we are of a liberal persuasion, we must take seriously the first reading. Moses says to the Israelites, In your observance of the commandments of the Lord your God, which I enjoin upon you, you shall not add to what I command you, nor subtract from it. Because liberals believe the church must grow, improve, and change, they can be tempted to question or even dissent from the magisterial teachings of the church, that is, the teachings of the apostles handed down through 2,000 years of prayer and reflection. Of course, now more than ever, the human structures of the church must be challenged and purified. But active, persistent, and proud dissent from the divine commands preserved by the Church only serves to wound and divide the body of Christ. This crisis will not be solved by getting rid of bishops, or ignoring sexual morality, or ordaining women to the priesthood, because these teachings come to us from God, not from men. And if we are of a conservative persuasion, we must take seriously the gospel. In it, the Pharisees are not accusing Jesus of violating the law of Moses. They are accusing him of violating the law of the elders, that is, the Pharisees. In Jesus' time, in order to be overly cautious about the law, the Pharisees developed many additional laws which they believed would protect them from sin and make them holy. And then they forced these additional laws on the common people. But Jesus turns their accusation back on them. He says, You disregard God's commandment, but cling to human tradition. The Pharisees became too focused on the details, the little things, 
their own additions and traditions and requirements. And they forgot about the overriding law of God, about the purpose of these laws to begin with. Yes, we must conserve the divine teachings of the Church, but in doing so we must be very clear about what is an essential teaching of the Church and what is our own preference or tradition or belief that we are forcing on others. This crisis will not be solved by ignoring the Second Vatican Council or returning to the Old Mass or reviving all the same prayers that our grandparents used to pray. It will not be solved by reflexively rejecting any calls for change in the structures or practices or historical rites of the hierarchy. The world has changed, and the Church, while preserving the divine commands entrusted to her, must continually adjust her appearance, her language, and even her structures so that she can remain ever new, just as her Lord is ever new. We cannot hide behind the traditions of the past while the present desperately needs our attention. I challenge every single one of us here, learn what the Church actually teaches. Read her documents. Study her writings. Only in this way can we stay true to the divine while never being afraid to abandon the human. Only in this way can liberals and conservatives stay united by rediscovering the beauty of the one church that embraces them both. Again, my fellow Catholics, I beg you, do not allow the enemy to divide us. Remember all that we hold in common. Remember first that liberal or conservative, we all love Jesus and want to grow closer to him every day. We can and should pray together, fast together, work together in order to bring the Lord more powerfully into our lives and into his church. If we can keep our eyes on Jesus, then we will not feel threatened because someone disagrees with us, but we will instead reach out to our brother or sister in Christ who is hurting as much as we are hurting. And we will pray for them and with them. Remember, second, that liberal or conservative, we all love our parishes. The fights in Rome and Washington, D.C. are a world away. Here in the Skagit Valley, we still have communities that we care about, ministries that we love to support, and liturgies that bring us together in common worship. We are surrounded by people who give so much of their time or money because they care so deeply about the work we do here. We are always united when we teach the faith and serve the poor. Remember, finally, that liberal or conservative, we all want answers because we are all hurting. We love our church and want her to be holy. Whether this corruption and negligence touches the Pope or not, each of us wants the deep, festering wounds of the church brought to light wherever they may be found, so that they can begin to heal. We should all support Cardinal DiNardo's call for an independent investigation, so that we can identify the sources of corruption 
and free our church from their influence. My friends, as difficult as the last few weeks have been, the silver lining I have found is that we have all been in this together. Clergy and laity, liberal and conservative. We have been talking to each other, supporting each other, and struggling to find a way forward together. I am sorry that it took a crisis to spark this spirit of collaboration, but I am thankful that it has presented itself nonetheless. I beg you, please, let's not throw it away by dividing along liberal and conservative lines once again. We love Jesus. We love each other. We want what is best for our church. All of us want that. May it be Christ, not the enemy, who prevails in our hearts. And may we remain strong together as one undivided Catholic family.